This is Steve Stein, and you're listening to Inside Asia. This week, we take a break from the big themes of tech, trade, environment, and other topics driving Asia's transformation in order to explore a small group of islands at the eastern end of the Indonesian archipelago. The Komodo Islands are unique in so many ways. It's a world-class diving spot where you can swim up close and personal with giant manta rays, drink sundowners and watch fox bats fly overhead by the thousands, and of course, take a peek into the world of the legendary Komodo dragons. However, not all is well in the land that time forgot. Komodo National Park is home to 4,000 or more dragons, but increasingly the giant reptiles are under siege from a trifecta of tourism, food shortage, and smuggling. In fact, just this month, Indonesian police foiled an attempt by smugglers to abscond from the country with 41 baby dragons. That was enough to trigger a government plan to close Komodo to tourists, at least for a while. No final decision has been taken, which means for now at least, visitors will keep pouring in with more than 100,000 expected this year alone. In order to get my head around the plight of the dragon, I paid a visit to the hilltop villa of Rex Sumner, the eccentric snake man of Bali. While sharing a cold bottle of beer and enduring leg and head grooming from his pet monkey, I did my best to stay focused. All right, I've never been interviewed while a monkey was grooming the hair on my legs, so if I yelp now and again, it has nothing to do with what you've said. It has everything to do with the feeling of the hair being pulled out by the follicles. Thank you so much, Mother Monkey. Would so, you like to be draped in a python at the same time? I can arrange that. There's I, one in that container just over there. I'm so. sure. I, I think we can just hold off on the python, <laughs> I think, one animal at a time. Speaking of animals, Komodo dragons. I'm here to talk to you today. Uh, this is this is a, a man who I met uh, several years ago who was uh, known as the Snake Man of Bali. Um, Rex Sumner is here with me, and he knows anything and everything about snakes, I discovered, um, and has this extended love for reptiles. Uh, on the eve of my going on to this trip to Komodo, um, and knowing that the government just a few days ago made a decision to shut down Komodo Island in 2020 for one year to reassess ecotourism and the, the health of the Komodos, I'm here speaking with Rex. And Rex, you're going to tell us a little story about your first trip to Komodo. Yes, I w- went there for the first time in 1980. My father had actually promised me a trip to Komodo if I passed my A-levels. This was some years later because he'd conveniently forgotten this promise. But suddenly he had the opportunity. We went on a cruise with the Lindblad Explorer, which was stuck there and was in the busy doing um, five-day trips to Komodo. And this was a, a luxury cruise yacht, which we went down with maybe 20 passengers on it. And we arrived there, and in those days, Komodo was pretty much unspoiled. It was beautiful. First thing we saw, actually, was some deer running over the horizon, horrified at, at the sight of us and we landed on a deserted beach and we were deserted except for three rangers who met us there and we walked down along the beach and followed the trail up and they took us up to a dry riverbed where we were looking down from a height of maybe 15 feet above it where they'd staked out three goats and there must have been 25 komodo dragons feasting on these goats and we just sat entranced for maybe two hours watching them eating. They ranged from little dragons who were maybe three, four foot long, who were all had yellow heads. 
And it took me a moment to realise that the reason they had yellow heads was their favourite food was the intestines of these goats. And this was the contents of the goat's so intestines. They were dipping their heads into the, the guts of the goat. Yeah. They were going right inside there. Yeah. There was one massive dragon and I looked at it and I thought this dragon was a good 14 foot long. And I, I was ex-army, so I think I had a fairly good judge of size of things. And I wasn't very impressed by the the Lindblad Explorer's expert, animal expert, who claimed this was 16 foot long. And it was absolutely fascinating because there was a wild boar wanted some of the goat as well. Because pigs are very uh, adventuresome feeders like we are, and they will eat anything they can get, and they're very partial to, car- to carrion. And this pig drove off all the smaller dragons until there was just the big dragon left which had ignored it to that point and it was making these little charges at the dragon and the dragon just kept on eating and finally the pig got the dragon's attention and the dragon whipped round and tried to hit the pig with its tail and the pig got out of the way and for maybe 10 minutes the two of them were rushing at each other. Well, the pig would rush at the dragon, and the dragon would try and hit it with its tail, and the pig would back away. And eventually they went into a Mexican standoff and just looked at each other, and then started at either end of the carcass. <laughs> it was a compromise. It was a compromise. Yeah, if I were a betting man, I would have bet on that dragon. Um, I think the pig could have done quite a bit of damage to the dragon, but the pig would eventually have died, because as you may know, dragons are venomous. They've got... Um, 2011, I think, the paper was published, which showed that the Komodo dragons has a, have a serious venom gland, which is secreted into the teeth in the lower jaw. Uh, it's not the fact that they've got dirty mouths, as dentists over the world have encouraged us over the years. It's actually down to a real venom gland. Mm. And it was just wonderful seeing these things. And then suddenly a bigger dragon turned up. Bigger than 14 feet? Yes. Maybe 16. Maybe it was 16, this one. And it, it was... The other one was fat with a small head. This was enormous, but gaunt and hungry and had obviously just arrived, having smelling, smelt the carrion from far away. And it had a huge head on it, twice the size of the head of the other one. And I never forget, it went over there, ignored that the pig legged it at the side of this dragon. Uh, it went down there to the carcasses. It grabbed the head of a goat and ran backwards over the... Well, it went forward, but over the back of the goat, just snapped the head off and threw the head up into the air and swallowed it, which was interesting because that helped to dislodge the carcass of that goat and it started to disintegrate. And for years, if I recall, this was a um, one of those customized, uh, high-end, come-see-the-Komodos-feast-on-goats type of thing, and then they... They uh, made that illegal several years ago because the Komodos were becoming lethargic, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely correct. Uh, And it was actually interesting because as we walked back, people suddenly realized that this log that we were going around wasn't a log. It was another large dragon that was waiting for someone to come close enough. (laughs) And it's actually quite dangerous. You You could have the keepers go down there and lift up a tail of the dragon. The dragon didn't care. And this is what what happened the dragons weren't bothering to hunt anymore so they stopped the staking out of the goats which is a great pity because you really did see the dragons very well then 
you were aware of the old stories of the people who were killed by the dragons? Well, I'm, I'm sure there were, but what, what are those stories? The two famous ones is the the Marie Celeste, as it were, mm. a New Zealand yacht, a New mm. Zealand registered yacht, which was found anchored off the top, where the two couples who lived and owned the yacht were never found. And they'd obviously gone ashore to look at dragons and been eaten. All they found was the yacht. Someone said for years that the dragons couldn't swim, but then some photos emerged. They yeah. swim perfectly well. Yeah. They're not just on Komodo, they're also on the neighboring, neighboring island of Rincha mm. and on the relative mainland of the larger island of Zimbabwe. Yes, they can swim perfectly well. They're monitor lizards, mm. essentially giant monitor lizards. My favorite story, though, is of the German baron. And the German baron was a famous big game hunter. In his 70s, he had changed to photographing animals. And he came with a party to Komodo to see it. And they went on a trek looking for Komodos. And they didn't find any, but halfway along the trek, the baron said, I'm a little bit tired, so I will stay here. And they came back, and he wasn't where he had said he'd be. And they went back to the ship, and he wasn't there. And they went back, and all they ever found of him was the strap of his Hasselblad. <laughs> I wouldn't eat that either. <laughs> no. So the, the, the famous big game hunter was finally eaten by big game, the real king of the big game. Uh, <laughs> Divine justice. Absolutely. I yeah. think that was 1976, if I yeah. recall correctly. But um, the people who live on Komodo are the descendants, because I don't know if you know it, but the kings of Sumbawa used to exile, the death penalty for their criminals was to be exiled to Komodo. To live with the dragons. To be eaten by the dragons. Well, live as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. And they, some of them survived and built a hut and managed to survive there despite the dragons. And now they lived in harmony with the dragons who would wander through and be chased off. Yeah, relative harmony. I believe their houses are on stilts. Most definitely on stilts, and the dragons are very happy to pick through their rubbish tips, uh, looking for anything snack. This was in the days before plastic, so I hate to think how many dragons have ingested plastic bags or something mm. like that. But anything to do with tourists is bad for animals. Well, that's that's this all adds to the lore and the legend and the intrigue of the Komodo dragon. It's why it's become such a great tourist destination, Komodo. Uh, but we've got a problem. Now we have a situation where they're reassessing whether or not ecotourism is in fact good for the Komodo dragon or not. What's your view? It, it isn't. However, we have to always take a middle road because unless we can make money out of animals as a resource, there are so many people in the world that it means that the animal will be destroyed. And there's not many animals which can survive human pressure. There's not many animals which live with us, and those that do aren't very nice, like cockroaches and rats. So if we wish to have magnificent animals like Komodo dragons around us, there has to be money involved to ensure the survival of the dragons. So we have to have tourism. It's a necessary evil. And we have to work out a way that's, that's, a, that's a monkey with a hairball, by the way. No, just the for, monkey is threatening yeah. the otter, which no. it didn't like what the otter interfering with its grooming of your leg. Yeah, that's right. So we've got, uh, we have a rivalry going here between the mother monkey and the otter. They both are vying for my attention, and it looks like the mother monkey is winning. Sidebar, please continue. You have to allow people to walk through it, in my opinion, and it needs to become a big park. And I would advocate that there is a certain amount of feeding and just more rangers and more money going to the rangers who are looking after the park which i'm sure is what's going to happen in the long term this is only a an interim process where it's being closed down and they're going to have 
a new park at the end of it, you can bet your bottom dollar there's no way the Indonesians are going to give up on the income that's coming into Komodo. Mm. Do you know how the dragons were discovered originally? No. There was a Dutch pilot in his 20s. Uh, I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he crashed on this island as he was flying along there. And I think it was 1926. And he was knocked unconscious by the crash. And he woke up and found his plane being devoured by these giant lizards who were ripping it apart because they could smell him inside and smell the blood from the accident. And they were trying to get after him. And it must have been absolutely terrifying. Can you imagine waking up and looking out and there's this monstrous land crocodile ripping your plane apart. Bear in mind the planes in those days were, were canvas and fairly easy to rip apart, but it would be terrifying. How did that story end? He got out of the plane, and they were busy eating the plane and trying to rip it apart, and he got down there, and he got down to the shore. He found the village. I believe the villagers were out looking for him because they'd heard the crash, and they managed to get him back to civilization. And nobody believed him. Yeah, of course not, because <laughs> there are no cameras. Exactly. Yeah. So they had to have an expedition mounted to go and find out that there were dragons. And that was the first uh, Western true. discovery of it. Yes. Mm. It is... I would like to say it's the largest animal discovered in recent times, but of course a larger lizard was discovered in New Guinea in the 90s, I believe. And what was that? Is that, is that Komodo-like? It's, yeah. it's another monitor lizard. Yeah. It's longer, but not as heavy as the Komodo. And venomous? All monitors are venomous. Mm. venomous. And there is dispute amongst herpetologists. A herpetologist is somebody who studies reptiles. The man and his associates who did the study on the Komodos went on to study other lizards and claim that uh, I believe 2,000 species of lizards actually have venom glands, although we wouldn't notice them. And certainly I've been bitten by the water monitor that we have here in Bali, and you can feel the venom coming into your body. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm two days away from going to Komodo, and I don't know if it's with anticipation or trepidation that I go, but... Uh, oh, anticipation. It's yeah. got to be anticipation. It's the most wonderful experience. My head teeming with tales of venomous reptiles and strange disappearances, I bid farewell to the Dr. Doolittle of Bali's Tempok Searing District and returned home to pack for the journey. When we return, I'll take you on a walk through a jungled island in search of the Komodo dragon. Back in a minute. Inside Asia is supported in part by Black Marketing, the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing agency, created and led by the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing masterclass instructor, entrepreneur, and best-selling author, Chris J. Reed. Black Marketing is an award-winning, independent, boutique, B2B marketing consultancy that specializes in enabling you to achieve your business objectives through LinkedIn. Learn more at www.blackmarketing.com. This is Steve Stein, and you're listening to Inside Asia. Welcome back. We're about to take a walk through Komodo National Park. Getting to Komodo requires some planning. First a flight to the Indonesian capital of Jakarta, and then a short hop on a prop plane to Labuan Bajo on the island of Flores. From there, you board a boat, and within a few hours, find yourself among a string of sparse islands covered in low-lying green shrub. Mangroves line the shores and it's hot, and I mean damn hot. That's the way the dragons like it. We spent a few days on a liveaboard boat, eating, drinking, and diving before deciding it was time to pay the dragons a visit. I wish you welcome to Rincha Island. So Rincha is a part of Komodo National Park, and we call Lohubuaya, name of this area. 
loh buaya consists of two words. Loh means bay and buaya means komodo. We say it komodo bay. And you see komodos here. I cannot guarantee because basically they're wild. So if we're lucky, we may see some. But no worries. We will see komodo dragons hang around here because they smell food from our kitchen. Just hopping, so we never feed them. First, we walk in the jungle. We're going to see the nest, and then we walk around the jungle a little bit. And then from the jungle, we're going up to the hill to see the sea view. Uh, my name is uh, Safi, so you can call me uh, Safe. Easy name. Safe. Safe. Yeah. Uh, I walk in the wildlife, so I'm scared with the snakes as well. There are three types of venomous snake here, like spring cobras, Russell vipers, and green snake. All good to know. <laughs> yeah. After our guide Savi, also known as Safe, gave a brief introduction, we turned toward the jungle and headed in. Well, it's a kind of safari, I guess. So the way that you spot Komodos is by looking for other tourists. And indeed, we have found a group of four or five appears to be Europeans, but it's hard to tell from a distance. I'm assuming from their height, from their girth. I'm not talking about the Komodos. So, uh, the Komodos like the shade, as they should, because it's hot here. I mean really hot, about 110, 115. He's hanging low, checking underneath the little hut next to it, make sure they're not hiding. And there they are, our first two Komodos. Excuse me, come a little bit closer here. After the initial shock of seeing these reptiles of unusual proportion, I had a twinge of disappointment. You see, Komodos, when not hunting, are notoriously lazy. In fact, as our small group looked on from a distance of a few meters, I started to wonder if the subjects of our awe were even alive. They remained statuesque, maybe even dead, maybe not. We edged laterally, giving the beasts a wide berth. All it took was the snap of a branch and both beasts raised their heads, tongues darting, testing the air for the scent of flesh. Time to move on. As we moved deeper into the jungle, our guide explained how the males had larger heads, the females shorter tails. Females can live to the age of 35, males half as long. On this little island of Rincha, there are two villages with 1,500 inhabitants. Houses are built on stilts and ringed with Komodo-proof fencing. The children, said our guide, are most at risk. The scientists say uh, there are 60 types of bacterials in their saliva. Uh, when they for example, they bite one buffalo and they wait and they follow a couple of days, one or two weeks, and buffalo dies. They wait for the bacteria the to kill them? To kill them, yeah. Why, Do they do that because they're lazy after biting? They just don't want to fight it? Uh, sometimes they eat immediately. So when more than five Komodos, just few minutes, buffalo die. Sometimes they uh, hunt together. Is, is it just the bacteria or do they have venom as well? Uh, yeah, the scientists say they're the name of bacteria we call Listeria, Listeria, like venom. So it's yeah. the combo, it's the great hybrid. Yeah. Hmm. The first hunting uh, deer, because uh, they smell deer very good, so very strong smell it, yeah. So strong smelling things have less of a chance of surviving? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Chris, you need to leave the island. <laughs> Okay, so we've got a big boy approaching. Even our guide crouched down and said, hold on there. We'll see if we can get a little footage of him. Here he comes. He's on the approach. 
big belly. Oh, he's big belly. He's had something. Just eat them. Look at his stomach. Oh, you're right. Come over here. Chinoa, he just ate. There's no problem. Look at that. A few minutes later, we stood against the slope of a hill and looked down on a pockmarked ridge, a minefield of three to five foot deep holes. Okay, uh, now here you are nest of Komodo dragon. As you see down there, there are many holes. Uh, normally, she use only one, is the real two lady eggs, and several holes just fake or camouflage. So July, August, they are mating season, and September, one female, make whole to lay the eggs. So each female 30 eggs in one time and incubate time egg up to nine months. Yeah. As you see down there are many holes but only one is the real and several holes just fake or camouflage. To fool the predators. Yeah. So sometimes uh, the other dragon try to steal the eggs inside. So that's why the female make many holes. But the first, the female garden nest start from September, October, November. So November start raining and her nest is flooded. So the female go away from the nest. Yeah. And it is the time the eggs hatch, April. So the small one come out from the holes and then they're going up on the trees. So this is the season for babies in trees? Yeah, the small one already coming out from the holes now, April. Do, do they, and they stay up there in, until they, the mother says it's time to come down? Yeah, they, can live until two years on the trees mm. to uh, when they feel strong enough to come down and they find food in the ground. As we're walking through this forest, is there a chance we could look up and see them? Can you see them in the trees? Uh, if you're lucky, we may see some on the trees, but very difficult to see. So they hide in the hole of the dead trees. How big are they when they're born? Uh, first born, 30 centimeters length, mm. and the size of the eggs about 8.6 centimeters. Yeah. Mm. You know a lot about Komodos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Komodo Islands have become a major draw for tourists in search of the strange and exotic. And year on year, more travelers arrive at Komodo, Rincha, and a collection of other small islands to steal a glimpse of the world's largest living lizard. That's put a strain on this remote chain of islands. There's minimal infrastructure, tour guides work for tips, and no apparent investment made to date to safeguard the dragons from intruders, poachers, and smugglers. It's a challenge, and the government, at least for now, isn't quite sure what to do. So what happens when they close down the island and nobody, no tourists come? Then you say everyone loses their jobs? You just go back to the village for a year until they reopen? Yeah. 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 We and lose the job. Mm. Yes. Well, that's a shame. How many people are employed here? Um, on this island, about 1,500 people. Uh, we do like fishing only. Fish, fishing. Yeah. So, do, will you go back to fishing for a year? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And how many people are employed here, working here at um, the park? Yeah. Now is uh, twenty-five uh, naturalist guide. Twenty-five. But totally uh, fifty, and every ten days we rolling rotate, ten days here and ten days off. This is Steve Stein, and you've been listening to an Inside Asia episode from the remote island of Komodo. I hope you've enjoyed this brief departure from our normal fare. So here it is this week, our Asia Insider Minute, that point in the program where I reflect on the topic and pose a few questions of my own. What is the fascination we have as humans with the sacred and profane? Dragons or anything that resemble them evoke horror and disbelief, yet we celebrate them in lore and mythology as a thing verging on the divine.
Interestingly enough, the symbolism of the dragon is very different between Asian and Western cultures. In the West, the dragon symbolizes a source of destruction when on the move and greed when in repose. Dragon slayers like the mythical 15th century St. George were cast as heroes for ridding the world of dragons. In Chinese lore, the dragon represents just the opposite. They're benevolent creatures associated with water, fertility, and abundance. Oftentimes, the Chinese dragon is rendered clutching a pearl, a symbol of wisdom and fidelity. The dragon is protector, symbiotic with the natural world. However the two cultures came to such divergent views on the dragon remains a mystery. But whoever and wherever you are, the idea of the dragon looms large. Maybe this is the thing that draws people to the Komodo Islands, a brief encounter with the closest thing we have to the mythical dragon. The Komodo dragons can't fly, breathe fire, or carry the mother of dragons Daenerys Targaryen into battle, but they can evoke the imagination, which in its own way lifts us from the profanity of our daily lives to give us a spirited glimpse of the thing we call the sacred. I know all of you Game of Thrones fans know exactly what I'm talking about. Until next time, this is Steve Stein saying, coming from the outside on Inside Asia. Inside Asia is supported in part by Black Marketing, the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing agency, created and led by the world's most recommended LinkedIn marketing masterclass instructor, entrepreneur, and best-selling author, Chris J. Reed. Black Marketing is an award-winning, independent, boutique, B2B marketing consultancy that specializes in enabling you to achieve your business objectives through LinkedIn. Learn more at www.blackmarketing.com.